Apparently, hell has as much rain as California, Jesus loves short people, and just for the record, God's love is not reckless. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comment, follow us, do all that stuff so that we get more recognition, right? It's all about us. All about us. the glory. No, it's about the glory of God, of course. Get the gospel gospel, out there. the, The Bible. The Bible, the good stuff. Hey, just a reminder, you know, hopefully you're reading the Bible in a year. That's one of the reasons why we're doing this, so... You can read the Bible in a year and follow along with the New Testament and the Old Testament, and uh, hopefully these videos help uh, lead you along and, and give you some insightful uh, information about the uh, things you're reading. Yeah, absolutely. So. And uh, we're going to get into the parables of Luke today. So good. Um, so good. The reckless love of God. What do you have against the reckless love of God? Well, it's just Such a catchy you know, song. You know, uh, it's just. You know, this song is catchy. You get yeah. stuck in your head. Sometimes I find myself singing it. Really? And then I give myself lashes on the back for <laughs> um, for doing such a horrible thing. No, no, it's, it's you know, teach their own, but I think it is imprecise language when you're talking mm-hmm. about God and who he is. Uh, I've, some people try to, like, change it to, like, the sovereign love of God or something, but I'm like, the name of the song. It's not like a, yeah. it's not like sloppy wet kiss, you know? <laughs> it's not like this weird lyric we can just change. It's kind of the whole point of the song. Yeah. But, um, but I, yeah, we'll look at how Jesus leaves the 99 to get that one. I, and I also have a problem with like that interpretation of the actual parable itself mm-hmm. with sheep and stuff. Anyway, we can maybe talk about Well, that. I think it, yeah. Like, so with parables, there's, there's kind of a couple of dangers, but one of them is taking everything as a direct correlation, right? So like the allegorical approach in its extreme of everything corresponds to something else. So mm-hmm. in that parable, Jesus is the shepherd, we're the sheep. And mm-hmm. so, it, you know, when you look at a parable like the, the unjust judge, mm-hmm. it shows you the limitations of that, right? right? That, okay, the judge is kind of God, mm-hmm. but he's also bad. right? So that doesn't really make sense. Or when you look at um, the one where the guy's taking money from his, he's the steward, and he's stealing oh, yeah. money from his own. Like, and Jesus is like, "Yeah, do that," but he's not saying sin. He's saying, "Well, we'll get to it, I guess." But yeah. so it's taking t- too direct of a interpretation instead of seeing the big picture of the, right. the parable. Yeah. So anyway, God's love isn't reckless. Don't be a kook. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> well, we're in the we're in the Gospel of Luke, and uh, I've just really loved going through these, and we've been kind of focusing on we've been trying to focus on unique aspects of each gospel as we go through them because we're going through the same kind of general narrative four times. So we don't want to just, you know, let's talk in depth about the crucifixion every single time, but let's bring it out worth talking about the crucifixion every time. Wow. Wow. But let's take out, you know, unique things and focus on them so you can see some of the themes of that gospel. And I know as I've been really meditating on these and focusing on this, as I then, am reading back through the Gospels, it really enriches my reading. Yeah. And I'm seeing, oh, you know, Mark has, like, you kind of get a little bit of like Mark's personality or Luke's personality yeah. as you read. Yeah. So I hope it's been the same with you as you read. I, that's, that's our hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just jump in. So we're in the section of the Gospel of, of Luke where Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem. And we said this is a, kind of a unique thing. You know, Matthew and Mark have that as well, but it's just like a chapter. It's a, it's kind of more of a blip. Right. Where this is ten chapters, mm-hmm. so it's the end of nine all the way to the end of nineteen. So there's a, a huge focus here, and it's very important. So we're trying to we're trying to draw this out. So as he's going, he's teaching in parables, and mm-hmm. these chapters we're going to focus on have a ton of them, and some of them are totally unique to 
the the Gospel of Luke, and yeah. they're ones that I'm sure if you've read the Bible at all, you know right. the prodigal son, you know the mm-hmm. Good Samaritan, like you know these these parables. So um, let's d- jump into chapter 15. Chapter 15 has a triad of parables that all have the same point. So everything parables, lost. yeah, parables about yeah. things that are lost, and also those who think they're not lost. Interesting. Yep. So you have first the parable of lost sheep, where someone loses one sheep to, you know, sorry, loses one sheep and leaves the ninety nine he has to go and find the one, and he rejoices when he finds it. Right. So the 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 emphasis here is on there's joy when somebody finds what they've lost mm-hmm. more than there is joy to to keep what they've had right. in, a, in a sense. So verse seven. Jesus gives the point of the parable. He says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we can't take this hyper-literally because the point he's going to be making throughout these parables is every person needs to repent. Right. It's there is like no one who doesn't need exactly, to repent. Yeah. It's, it's that perception that you have. And so he's saying it's a joyful thing to find someone who's lost. Yeah. And he's challenging, especially the Pharisees, the self-righteous leaders who think that they don't need to repent, which he's right. been doing the whole gospel. Yeah, so, so therefore God's love is reckless. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, no, I, I think I, obviously, you know, there is a sacrificial nature to God's love. But uh, but here it's it's intentional. It's you know God doesn't risk anything per se because mm-hmm. God has is sovereign. He does have control. But then we have the parable of lost coin, which takes place in a home, a woman who has ten coins and loses one and searches everywhere for it. And then when she finds it, she has a big celebration. Right, rejoice with me for I mm-hmm. found the coin that I lost. And again, the point is given in verse 10. Don't right. miss this when Jesus clues us in. Right. He doesn't always tell us the point. So here he does. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Right. So there's joy before the angels. Who is before the angels? Or who are the angels before? Mm-hmm. would be a good way to think of it as well. So God is, the, is in view here. God is the one who is rejoicing over finding what he's lost. Mm. Or finding you know those who have rebelled against him and run away from him, and then you have the prodigal son parable, which is incredible, right? And and super long. I think it actually is the longest parable. Hmm. I don't know if that's. For like words I, don't, I, don't, I don't know for sure, but I I, I believe so. Yeah, word for word. Um, and it's about a man who has two sons. <clears throat> Something that we've seen a lot in the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. Like we've seen um, sons at war, and here we have two sons. And the first first sentence there clues us into the meaning of the parable, Mm -hmm. right? Like the point is not just about the prodigal son. The point is about two sons. Right, so it's a mistitled, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could, whatever you want to title it, right? I don't (laughs) care. But it's like people like, ah, you got to title this. I don't care. I'm just saying, like, when you read it, (laughs) just know, like, it should be about the prodigal God. Or I'm like, yeah, I I agree with all of that. I get the point. Um, But there's two sons, and so there's a, Important contrast. Now, the bulk of the story focuses on the first son, but it ends on the second son. Right, yeah. So the first son demands the property from his father, squanders it, right? Takes, essentially is saying to the father, I don't care about you, I just care what what you can give me. And then he goes and wastes it, dishonors his father, complete disgrace, and then he's in desperate need and he comes home to the father. Mm Mm-hmm. And the father welcomes him with a lavish welcome, right? Runs to him, does what would have been dishonorable for an older man to do in that time, which yep. is run. Yep. You'd have to, you know, hike up your skirt, 
Skirt, um, <laughs> your uh, trousers. No, uh, yeah, that's the thing. Um, hike that up and expose your super pale legs and um, run. And he embraces and kisses this filthy, disgraceful kid. Yeah. He um, smelly. Well, he's no. a young man, probably. But you know, he's uh, he puts a robe on him. He gives him a ring. He puts sandals on his feet. He he gives the welcome. Of, of royalty, and he kills the fattened calf, this precious possession mm-hmm. that would be kept for a long time for a really special occasion. And so, I mean, that alone, we can just pause and say that that is, we need to meditate on that, how great of a picture this is of the Father's love for those who are lost. Yeah. And, I mean, this just reminded me of something we talked about, I think last week we talked about it, maybe the week before that, but one of the big themes in Luke we see is that, you know, 30,000-foot view of Luke, you know, inviting in Gentiles, like... I mean, yeah. what, how does this parable speak to that? Yeah, that God is, yeah, welcoming the outsider. Uh, you know, I mean, he was at a point where he's taking care of pigs, wanting to eat what the pigs eat. So he's unclean. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. In a real sense. And um, yeah, and God is welcoming in those who are outside mm-hmm. and and into the feast, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, <laughs> what a great parable to read when you ha- you know are struggling with doubt about God's acceptance of you or love mm-hmm. of you to come back here and to say, this is how the Father welcomes those who come back to him in desperation and yeah. faith. But of course, we can't stop there. The second half of, or the last part, I should say, of the parable is about the older son. Mm-hmm. So the older son is not there for the celebration. Right. He's out in the fields, and he begins to be resentful when he hears what's happened. Um, verse 28, he was angry and refused to go in. So he doesn't want to be with the father. His father came out and entreated him. Mm-hmm. So now you have a, a second lost son right? who is the father is trying to win back. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. It's just very different, you know, in terms of how they're lost. Yeah. But both are lost. Yeah, their sins are different now. And he answered his father, he's, look, which is a very disrespectful thing to say, right? Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So he's admitting that his obedience to the father was about what he could get from the father, mm-hmm. and just like the, the the younger son was, right. And now he's upset, and then he complains because God, or sorry, well, this picture of God, obviously, but the father has welcomed back in the son who has been sinful and disgraceful, right. and so he's. It, this is a picture of the Pharisees who believed they were righteous, didn't need to repent, believed they deserved something from God, and that. They hated when Jesus welcomed in the outcasts, the sinners, mm-hmm. the tax collectors, whatever. They hated it. And so the response of the father is, is really important in verse 31. He says, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. There's where we get the, the words from, you know, the, or that you know, were put into the, the great hymn, right? Amazing yeah. Grace. So it ends that way. It ends with the father pleading with the son, saying he he wanted to give he wants to give great gifts to both of his sons, right? right? And so you're left there w- with this question of will the one that is lost that doesn't think he's lost repent and, and come right. into the love of the father? So you see the point of all three of these parables. And that's, I think that's really interesting when you're looking at them together, and it's like they kind of almost build in like especially the context of who Jesus is talking to here as well. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, whoa. <laughs> yes. And we can identify, obviously there's a great point from each of the first two, 
But the third one is longer because it's easier to identify with yeah. in terms of actual human interactions, mm-hmm. jealousy and bitterness and uh, refusing the love of God because of self-righteousness. Yeah. And so this will be kind of a theme as well in the parables. That's great. Yeah, Jesus is talking to tax collectors, sinners, and Pharisees are all listening in on this. Yeah. And so <laughs> I wonder how, much, how many of them got it. Right yeah. So. Definitely. I mean, definitely some, right? You have like Joseph of Arimathea at the mm-hmm. end who was part of the council, and he then openly you know, takes yeah. the body of Christ. And you have Nicodemus who later yeah. uh, in the Gospel Seems of John, like we see kind of comes out of the, out of the closet, so to speak, yeah. and is a follower of Jesus. And so there definitely were some, um, but... Yeah, I'm, I mean, he missed it, obviously. That's why he was crucified. Yep. Um, so that's chapter 15. What, what an amazing... Man, it's just... It would encourage you, as, as you, if you haven't read through it yet, as you read through it, just to meditate on the amazing, amazing truth here. In chapter 16, we see two more important uh, parables. The first one is the parable of the dishonest manager. So there's a steward of the house who, you know, he knows he's, um, he's going to be in trouble, Right. Um, so he's going to get fired. Verse two, it talks about that, right? So because he's because he's he's dishonest, he's wasting his, his yeah. the wealth of his master. So he deserves to get fired. Like, this is a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so what he does is he decides to call different people to him and to decrease their debts in his master's book. Uh, again, this is like sinful. This is bad. <laughs> but he says, you know, oh, you owe my master two hundred whatevers. Make it fifty. Mm-hmm. So he's cutting their debt to gain favor in their eyes mm-hmm. is the idea. And what's what's weird about this parable is not the story. I mean, okay, it's a story. It's interesting. What's the, what's the point? The point is what's weird. The point is be like the steward. Be <laughs> like the manager. So what he says is, verse 8, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. So I, essentially the idea here is the, the manager was like, uh, you're a terrible person, but respect like you're smart you know (laughs) i gotta gotta admit you're smart even though you're stealing and lying and he says for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light Hmm. for i and i tell you make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings so he's giving us a mindset of how we should view our wealth he's saying use up just just like this guy was taking, you know, what he was responsible for. It wasn't his money, but he was using it to prepare himself for when he would be out of the manager's good graces. Mm-hmm. Jesus is saying there's something about that 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 is logical and makes sense. Mm-hmm. You should view money as a way to gain for yourself riches and and friends, so to speak, in eternity. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a mind shift that we, we need to have. A right. lot of us need to have, right? Of Man, I when I give to a missionary, when I'm able to give to someone who's doing the work of ministry, I love that. In part because I partner with them now, but in part because I know someday in eternity we'll be able to talk about that. Yeah, I mean, Man, what, like what was God able to do through what I gave, even if it's just a little bit? Oh yeah, for sure. And like our culture's obsession with, um, you know, investing and gaining and capital. I mean, I guess all cultures throughout history has been obsessed with that, but especially. You know, cryptocurrency and everything. It's at the yeah. hands of every person. Are you using that to prepare, you know, for an eternal investment with those monies? You know, or yeah. are you just thinking of just now so I can buy a home in California or whatever? Yeah, and you even know? yeah, exactly. Like you, if you're smart, you put money away each month. You you put it into an account. You invest it because you know it's going to build wealth. It's going to eventually, if you, you know, it's going to be working for you. And then, you know, Lord willing, in the, in the distant future, you don't have to work at all. Right, but. 
shouldn't we have the same mindset toward eternity that like there's yeah. a, a the the earlier and the more we can put into and invest in eternity and eternal causes the more return on investment we're going to get so to speak no and uh and so that's just a, a good reminder and again we see this focus from luke on wealth and the yeah. importance of it in fact the he goes on to say you know one who was and i love this verse 10 one who was faithful in a very little is also faithful in much and whoever is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth who will entrust to you true riches mm. so this is a great principle is the faithfulness principle right what do we look like it what do we look at as um, the currency for leaders in the church building up people it's faithfulness right are you faithful with a little this is cuz this is how god sees it then you're going to be faithful with much so you're entrusted with more mm. And so it's a good reminder for us of everything that we have, even if it's small. That's why we encourage, when we go through membership class, we encourage college or high school students even, like you mentioned, we just did the other week, you know, to give something to the church. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not not because, like, does it make a difference if you give $1 to the church? I mean, not really, probably. But it makes a difference in terms of your own spiritual walk because you you start to build an understanding of what you have as belonging to God. Right, yeah. You're exactly. disciplining yourselves to say, even if it's small, it, it matters mm-hmm. because it's not the amount. It's the it's the heart and the 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 habit, so to speak, of right. giving and being generous. And I have seen that in my life when I was able to do that when I was younger. It's made it much easier to do it now that I, you know, because I make more money now than I did when I was in college. Yeah. Shocker, you know, <laughs> uh, not much more. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, but to be able to give and have that pattern, it just is like you don't even... You don't even like second guess it. You're just like, yeah. of course I, I can, yeah. cannot give. So that's that's a good reminder. But it's true in every area of life, not just money. For sure. Let's uh, let's keep moving. Let's yeah, rich man and Lazarus. So again, this kind of theme of, of wealth. So we got, got a rich man who's verse nineteen clothed in purple and fine linen. Very oh nice. man, are you clothed? You got any purple on? I don't got. I got some a little bit of purple. I guess. No. I got. Uh, um, well, no. And feasted sumptuously every day. You feast sumptuously every day, though. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I just had a very good burrito. <laughs> yesterday. No. Yeah, exactly. So we got a rich guy, and then we got a, a guy at his gate, a poor man named Lazarus who was covered in sores, and he wanted to eat the rich man's food, and the dogs would lick his sores. Bummer. That's just, that's just the icing on the cake there. The dogs yep. are licking his sores. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's chasing dogs away or if he's just kind of giving up on life. It's, <laughs> It's a weird detail, but um, the so both of them die, right? Yeah. And the poor man goes to heaven. Well, he goes to Abraham's side. Hmm. This is like sparked all this debate throughout history of like <laughs> Abraham's bosom. Like, where is there this like separate like chamber, so to speak, in eternity called Abraham's bosom? Like, when you die, do you go to Abraham's bosom, and then you like oh, later go to heaven? Yeah, it's called purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, like all it's saying is like he's with Abraham. Like he's alongside of Abraham, and where's Abraham? Well, Abraham's in right. paradise. Abraham's in heaven. Right. So, yeah. Anyway, just you know, stupid things that we debate over yep. in history. But anyway, let's get to the point. Get to it, the though. point, yeah. Brandon. My goodness. <laughs> um, and so the the rich man goes to hell. Now, then there's there's this conversation between Abraham and the rich man, where the the rich man is saying. I want to be comforted. I want to have a drop of water. Yeah, one drop from a finger. Of Lazarus. This Lazarus, yeah, just one drop on my tongue, and it feels so good. And essentially, Abraham is saying, "No, like you lived for the temporary, and Lazarus lived for eternity, and now you have what you deserve." 
Now, and then, of course, it, it ends with him saying, can you please send Lazarus back to my house and mm-hmm. warn my brothers? Yeah. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophet, verse 29. They have Moses and the prophet, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I was getting goosebumps. Okay, so, (laughs) yeah, so I love, I mean, I just love the the scripture's emphasis on scripture. (laughs) Like here, it's like, you, the scripture is sufficient to lead you to faith. You don't right. need a miracle. You don't need a sign. So there's just a really practical point there. But even as you look at the big picture of the miracle and Christ's ministry, a question we have to ask with this parable is, why is one of the characters named? Interesting, yeah. This is the only parable where someone has a name. Right. Because a parable is just a made-up story. It's just a, mm-hmm. a, like, there's not even a reason here to believe this is a historical event. I mean, it's, it's possible. But I think most people take this as a parable. Um, so why is he naming Lazarus? Hmm. Well, and why is the name Lazarus, right? So that really stands out. And it seems to connect, right? Again, if you're having the rich man say, even if someone, you know, if someone rises from the dead, then we'll believe. Mm-hmm. And, and the response is, no, even a, a man coming back from the dead wouldn't make them believe. Well, think about what happens in John chapter 11. We are not there oh. yet, but where a man named Lazarus, this is kind of the pinnacle of Christ's ministry in a sense, before his Passion Week, a man named Lazarus is raised from the dead. Mm -hmm. And what's the response from the Jewish leaders? They want to kill Lazarus and Jesus. They're not not repenting because they don't believe in the Scripture. And so you have, earlier in the ministry of Jesus, as he's going toward Jerusalem, he's already essentially saying what's going to happen. And of course, Jesus himself rises from the dead or is raised from the dead and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right. And so it's and good it's for us to yeah. 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 So many people will say, well, if God just, you know, could make himself visible or whatever. It, it, or if we could just go up into space and see the flat earth, people would believe in God. <laughs> if, we could, <laughs> if we could just look, look with the Hubble telescope out into the outer reaches of space and see the face of Jesus <laughs> across 50 galaxies. Um, but yeah, that's not reality. That's yeah. not, that doesn't, doesn't happen. And we see it all in scripture, people seeing miracles and finding a reason to excuse that and to say, no, uh, we want to kill Jesus. So very convicting, very interesting parable. Let's look at chapter 17 just briefly. Um, Jesus here, so we we do you know see a little break from the parables to where Jesus is healing these these ten lepers. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't I don't want to go into that in detail, but in verse um, 16 we see that one of them comes back to thank Jesus, uh, to fall at his feet. And it says he was a Samaritan. Mm. And Jesus' response was, were not ten cleansed, where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? Praise to God. Mm. So, yeah, so again, the, this Gentile focus in Luke is is really on display here. Right. That it's the Samaritan, it's the outsider, it's the, it's the I guess Samaritans are kind of half Jew, but essentially a Gentile, right, that comes back to, to praise God. So we see that emphasis again. Let's look at chapter 18. There's so much, so much good stuff here. So I don't want to. Um, let's look at, let's just, let's look at just the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is such an important parable. Mm-hmm. And it shows so many important things about Jesus's view of salvation and of faith. Um, now, a lot of my view of this was shaped by a sermon I heard back in 2010 by John Piper. You ever heard of him? Um, 
big Pete yeah, I, I discovered no, him. Um, yeah, no one's heard of him, but yeah, I'll, um, I'll check him out. T, but I was at the Gospel Coalition conference in 2010, and the sermon is called "Did Jesus Preach Paul's Gospel?" So uh, you can look it up. It's it's a phenomenal. I mean, he spends like an hour, so phenomenal sermon, just a masterpiece in exegesis. But he he draw out drew he draw out he drew out some points in that sermon that are really important for this parable. So what? First of all, it tells us why he gave this parable, right? For those who trusted themselves that they were righteous. So this is about those who are confident in their own righteousness. And two men go up to pray. So a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee said this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector. He lists what he does, right? So it's interesting because what John Piper pointed out was this man understands that what he has is from God. Mm-hmm. In fact, he he believes that his own righteousness is from God. Mm-hmm. That God is the one who has made him righteous. I thank you that I'm not like this person, right? And it sounds like what he's saying is probably true. I mean, again, it's a, it's a parable, so Jesus is just going to, you know, put these words in his mouth. He probably wants us to believe that they're true to some degree. He's not an adulterer. He doesn't extort people, right? So he understands. He has a good theology. Mm-hmm. Right, he believes in the sovereignty of God. So, what's the problem? Well, the the contrast is really important. So, the tax collector instead stands far off and beats his breast and says, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." And in verse fourteen, Jesus says, "I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. Hmm. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted." So, one man is focused, even in his good theology, on his own works. Right. And that becomes the foundation for his salvation. Mm. God loves me because look at all the good things that I do. Yes, God's the one who you know has has made me do those things, but that becomes the foundation. Whereas the tax collector has a more solid foundation, right. which is to say, I have nothing to deserve forgiveness and love. I need the mercy and grace of God. Right. In other words, this is salvation by faith alone, right through grace alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that is the same message that Paul preaches. Yeah. So anyway, if you want to hear that in depth, go check out that uh, John Piper sermon called "Did Jesus Preach Paul's Gospel?" Mm. But I, but I think it's so important to see Jesus is speaking to your dependence on your own works uh, is a faulty foundation, and it will it will disappoint. Mm. Let's look a little bit um, at chapter nineteen. That's the last chapter we'll look at here. Zacchaeus. The story of Zacchaeus is unique. To the Gospel of Luke, short, short man, short dude. I yep. wonder, was he a little person? You know, like, oh, and that's that's you know, yeah. I guess no one really knows, but you know, was he? What's what's the non? I think it's the only non-offensive thing to say, right? I hate that like it just like it changes what you can say about like words you can use and yeah, stuff. What's, what's uh, correct? But uh, no. but you know, someone who is smaller, obviously he's smaller, but is he? Does he have a condition? Mm-hmm. Um, because it really emphasizes that, right? Like he's so short, he can't see over the crowd, and he has to climb into a tree. But we have an evil man, a chief tax collector. A chief, so he's like worst of the worst of the worst. Yep. And uh, he wants to see Jesus, and Jesus, as he climbs up in this tree to see Jesus, Jesus calls him out because he wants to fellowship with him. Right. Shocking. Right. But again, it shouldn't shock us by now, but <laughs> um, and because he he enters into this relationship with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus repents. And the way he demonstrates repentance is through, not shocking in the Gospel of Luke, but through the giving of his money. Yeah, he gives away what he has. Um, he he restores according to Mosaic law mm-hmm. this what he has stolen. And verse nine, Jesus says to him, 
today's salvation keyword ding 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 right for the gospel of luke salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of abraham hmm. so the sinner the outsider is called a son of abraham by faith Crazy. he has entered into the covenant right and it says for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost hmm. so we have that that theme again man what a what an interesting uh, section in the gospel of luke yeah great um, main takeaways for us, anything? Yeah, I mean, again, that, that it's clear the danger of trusting in yourself, right? Yeah. Look at the rich man trusting in his riches, the Pharisee trusting in his righteousness, and uh, it's so clear the blessings associated with trusting in Jesus. Like yeah. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the other tax collector, um, they trust in Jesus and they're not disappointed. That's awesome. Well, we'll see you next week uh, for, I think, the last video, the Gospel of Luke, right? Yeah, that's right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.